Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Anides, and alongside me is my co-host, Josh Molina. Josh, how are you doing, man? Doing great, Phil. Always a pleasure to sit down with you and talk Strike Force. Yeah, here we go. So we're going to talk about the uh, we're going to break down the top five female fighters in Strike Force history. I'm looking forward to this, and this is good timing because we're coming off of in in the the sequence of our you know the chronicle chronological order of Strike Force events. We just covered Misha Tate submitting uh, Marlus Kunin to win the Strike Force Women's Bantamweight belt. So we felt like it would be a good time to kind of break down these top female fighters, which we touched on in our last episode. So yeah, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, so what we'll do is we've got a couple honorable mentions, and then we'll start at uh, it's really my top five with you, Josh, jumping in with yours. I know we have a a little bit of a, a disagreement on on the top three, so we'll and we'll get to that. But mentioning mentioning a couple honorables here, so I have Liz Carmouche on here, and this is really based off of her one fight against uh, Marluz Kunin. She was she actually only went two and two in the promotion, but she was a a short notice replacement for Misha Tate when Tate uh, injured, I believe it was her knee, before she was supposed to take on Kunin for the bantamweight title, and so Carmouche stepped in on short notice and just put a whooping on the champion for about four rounds. I, I mean, I didn't, if I remember correctly, I think Kunin might've won the first round maybe, but it was close. And then Carmouche just dominated her up until that fourth round. And then she got caught. She got overzealous. Uh, the champion made a really nice move and did this kind of backward flip and caught Carmouche into or a backward roll and caught Carmouche and, and ended up submitting her, but it was a really good showing. And she was, she was in position to win that, even if she'd lost every second of the rest of the fight, I feel like she would have won three, two. So I, I have her on there as, as honorable, not, you know, as an honorable mention, not, not breaking the top five, but somebody who had a really good showing. You know, these lists are tough because we're, we can talk about their specific in cage work, but we can also talk about the impact they may have had maybe in just a few matches. And I think Liz Carmouche fits this category. She's an honorable mention. She didn't have this great legacy and she had her biggest moment in the UFC. But but you're right. I mean, in this matchup, she did incredible. She got sort of, I don't know if we want to call it Chael Sonnen or Anderson uh, Silva. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, it was just that Brazilian jiu-jitsu will get you if you just sleep for a second. And that's what happened. But, you know, she's a name that is is very well known in women's MMA. And she's going to go down as somebody who was one of the top tier women's fighters. So I think she absolutely belongs here in this honorable mention slot. Yeah. And then uh, we'll mention the second one, Amanda Nunez. So she only went one and one in strike force. But the one win she had was a 14 second knockout of Julia Budd. The other one she got, she gassed out and, and ended up losing, but she's the goat of women's MMA. She's the greatest women's fighter of all time. And so the fact that she did have a short run in strike force, she was actually up for more. She was going to do some more fights with the promotion, but she would, she actually was kind of injury prone early on in her career. So she's on here, not because she had a great strike force run, but she's on here because she's the best women's fighter of all time. And she did have spend a, you know, have a cup of coffee in strike force. So I feel like we got to mention uh, mention her as well. Yeah, I don't think we need to say too much about her. Um, I, I'm not an Amanda Nunez like pound for pound greatest of all time cheerleader. She's obviously uh, record wise, um, you know, the best and has beaten everybody. Um, 
But I, I, I think when you're talking about greatness, I think you're talking about something a little more than just your dominance in the cage. I think you're talking about your impact on the sport, um, you know, who was around you at the time. And so I don't really value her as the GOAT, um, although she's obviously the GOAT among most people if you just look at her record-wise. But again, an honorable mention because she's, she's too big of a name to ignore. Yeah, and uh, you know, I uh, for me, greatest has to do with your in cage or in ring. You know what what you've done there. That, so to me, like that's what that means. And so I, I get where you're coming from, but I mean, God, she beat. I'm looking at her record right now. You know, obviously, uh, she beat Misha Tate, she beat Ronda Rousey, and she beat beat Chris Cyborg, which is our uh, not in that order, but our top three. Uh, for this list, she beat all three of them and beat all three of them decisively. So, you know, and then you, she also beat Holly Holm and, uh, you know, Valentina Shevchenko or Shevchenko, excuse me, who's, you know, small, but she just twice and she just, yeah, she's amazing. So I, I, I definitely put her as the, the greatest, but I also see your point about, well, you know, impact and, and all of that stuff. So, all right, well, let's get to our top five. Um, these first two we both uh, agreed on, but Marlos Kunin comes in at number five. She went three and two in strike force. So not, you know, not an incredible record, but. One of those losses was when she stepped up to face Chris Cyborg at Featherweight when Cyborg was having trouble finding uh, opponents. And so that was up a weight class for her, but she hung tough into the third round. She did. She was getting beat up pretty bad. Um, so it wasn't like she had, oh, it was a really super competitive fight. It wasn't. But you got to hand it to her, her toughness. She did beat Sarah Kaufman via submission. Very, very tough armbar to win the women's bantamweight belt. And it's interesting to note, though, that she was really known more for her striking. She was uh, Dutch, and she came from Golden Glory, which is more of a kickboxing team. Uh, so she was really, again, known more for, for being able to strike. Uh, all three of her strike force wins came by submission. So she's definitely an important part of strike force history. Again, she was, a, you know, women's bantamweight champion and, uh, you know, she put the belt on the line and, and, and you know, was able to defend it and all that. So I, I think she's an important part of strike force history. I don't think her career quite measures up to uh, the rest of our, our ladies on this list, but uh, definitely a, a memorable fighter and somebody that I believe deserves inclusion on this list. The thing about her, too, is that when you look at her, you don't think, holy cow, that's an MMA fighter. Oh, no. There, yeah, there's, you know, so there's something that's really appealing about her in that she's really good. She's high level. She can strike. She's obviously this incredible Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. But she also looks like she could be hanging out, you know, on the soccer field, you know, with her kids. There's something explosive about her that I think makes her really one of the greats because she was very much underestimated, I think, until people figured out, holy cow, she can beat you. And so, so that's what I liked about her. She always, she's, you know, she's, she had this thin frame. She was kind of an underdog yet she fought, you know, cyborg hard, you know? And so, so I really like that about her. She's definitely uh, fearless and she didn't try to win technically. She went out there and, and tried to win matches and, and she won a lot of them. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of had that girl next door quality to her in a lot of ways. You know, she wasn't like coming out and talking smack and, and all that. So yeah, I, I, I agree. So yeah, there we go. All right, next on the list is Sarah Kaufman. Kind of, in some ways, um, I wouldn't say she's the most controversial pick, but the, it's kind of interesting. She had, in some ways, if you take away, and we'll get to, obviously we'll get to Cyborg, but her uh, her 
testing positive for steroids. If you take that away, I think Kaufman had the most controversial run. Nothing to do with her, but we'll, we'll get to that. So she was the first Strikeforce Women's Bantamweight champion. Uh, she went 4-0 in Strikeforce to open up her run there, which included winning the title and defending it via a very vicious slam knockout against Roxanne Modafferi. Uh, and then she, she kind of got screwed. So uh, she was shown on camera during the Kuhn and Tate championship bout and was interviewed about facing the winner. I mean, it was... Hey, you're being interviewed on camera about, you know, you're going to fight the winner. Like, it's pretty much a done deal. But instead, Ronda Rousey, who was starting to make some noise um, at that point, Ronda said, well, I, she wanted to fight uh, Kaufman to to be able to win the right to face Tate for the title. And Rousey had begun a feud, not just a rivalry, but a feud with, with Misha Tate. And so she said, I don't want to risk her losing to Kaufman, so I want to take on Kaufman. And if I'm Kaufman, I'm not agreeing to that. I say, hey, you told me on camera I'm getting a title shot, so let's do that. Uh, but instead, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but she ended up not getting that fight, and she ended up fighting Ronda Rousey and ended up getting submitted, and so that really ended her title hopes at that point. But it, but still, you have to give it to her. I believe she was the most tenured women's fighter in Strikeforce history. She had eight fights, went six and two, so she was a big time. She was a big time part of Strike Force for sure. And you and I, Josh, have talked about her on this podcast before. You actually have spoken with her and interviewed her uh, before. And and you said, you know, she wasn't really and she wasn't. She wasn't a big time personality. Um, definitely does did not appear to have that it factor, that charisma factor. And so maybe that's what you know kind of held her back. There was controversy around the fact that even though she was the women's bantamweight champion, that her fights were not being featured on, you know, tentpole strike force events that uh, she was being more relegated to the challengers events. And so that's why her, you know, she wasn't seen as a, a big a deal as she should have been. And, and really truthfully um, that that's really unfair to her in a lot of ways, but that that was the situation that she was in. So she's somebody, and by the way, I asked her to come on the podcast and she declined. Uh, she's one of the only fighters. And I think she might be the only one that just straight up told me, no, the others that haven't appeared have just, ghosted me and and not you know not, not responded but she actually responded and said and declined so uh, kind of interesting um that that she uh you know maybe she doesn't remember her strike force uh, her run in strike force very well uh I, you know maybe that's not something that that really brings up positive memories in her mind but uh but she was definitely a big part of the promotion first women's bantamweight champion somebody that put on some really entertaining fights and and should be recognized as one of the greats uh, within the promotion she really gets written out of the history book when people talk about great fighters in mma part of it is their own doing the other part of it is just that this is a sport that is built off of uh, personalities as well we see that obviously <clears throat> conor mcgregor obviously huge personality highest paid everyone knows who he is <clears throat> that matters and with sarah kaufman She's sort of, you know, there's a group of MMA fighters that are really good athletes and they're really good fighters. And the ones who are the good athletes and the ones who are the good fighters are in the top tier of this sport. And I would put Sarah Kaufman as a really good technical athlete. Uh, she trained well. She knew what to do fundamentally. And she won a lot of matches in women's MMA because she worked hard and she was technically sound. However, when she stepped up there against the top-tier talent in the sport, she lost every time. And the reason for that was she didn't have that athlete, competitive, 
I'm going to step it up and figure out a way to win X Factor. That's a John Jones level type thing. That's somebody who's a good athlete, but also I'm losing the fight. How do I come back and win? And we did see that a lot with John Jones, but we did see it a couple of times when he was down. And so, you know, Sarah Kaufman, she's, she's super nice and, and, and she's going to go down as somebody who's, who understands women's MMA as one of the pioneers, one of the early greats, but uh, she just did not win the big one. And also, she also didn't have this charisma that would overcome that fact where people would still look at her and say, well, she was still great. I mean, look at all these fighters, you know, Chael Sonnen never won the UFC championship, but we all know who he is. Why? He's got a big mouth. So, you know, Sarah had a couple strikes working against her, but I think just objectively, like you got to give her her due that she won a lot of fights and she, she had more fights in strike force than any other woman. It's definitely one of the greats there. I should mention, I actually, I'm searching back in my mind, she may have declined or it's possible. Um, I had started a newsletter very early on in the podcast, and I think she may have um, removed herself from my, my list. It's indicating her lack of interest in, in the promotion. I, I I may not, but in some ways she rejected us one way or the other. So anyways, all right. So this brings us to our top three, and this is, again, where you and I somewhat disagree here. Um, I'm going to... Uh, basically start with my number three and then work our way up. And then once we get uh, past our, our, my number one, we can talk about why you have it in a different order. But so my number three would be Misha Tate. So she beat Elena Maxwell in strike force in 2008, came back the following year, lost the decision to Sarah Kaufman, but then she goes on a tear. She wins four straight in strike force, which included her arm triangle choke win over Marlou's Kunin that earned her the Bantamweight title. It was the first time Kunin had been submitted in 26 pro fights, so that was a really big deal. And again, remember, at that point, uh, Kunin had had three three wins in strike force, and all one, all three of them were, were by submission. So big deal. After losing uh, to, to Ronda Rousey, which we're going to talk about the, the Ronda Rousey fight when we get to Ronda, Tate would rebound with a submission, went over Julie Kedsey before moving over to the UFC. So... You know, I, I got to say, so Tate, her her title win over Kunin was not that impressive to me. Like, I, she definitely won the fight, and it wasn't like a, a Hail Mary situation like it was when Kunin was able to turn back Liz Carmouche. This was a fight where uh, Tate was winning the majority of the fight and, and then, you know, was able to get the arm triangle submission, and Kunin was forced to tap out. So it was a good a good win, but it was not a really entertaining bout. Tate didn't look just super dominant and just, oh, man, she's just a killer and and all of that. So it was not a situation where, oh, okay, a big, you know, a star is born and, man, she's she's the next big thing necessarily. So I, I, I don't hold her as in high regard as I do Ronda Rousey and uh, and Chris Cyborg, which is why she's my number three. That All of that said, of course, she beat, uh, you know, the number four on our list, Marlis Kunin. Uh, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the number five on our list, Marlowe's Kunin. Um, you know, she did lose to Kaufman, but again, she was able to come back and win four straight. She was an important next step in the the evolution of women's MMA, and not just from a, a talent perspective, but from a recognition perspective that I think that she was a big part of that. And again, we're going to talk about her feud with Rousey, but that feud was extremely important to women's MMA. And, and so I, I put Tate up there, kind of what you were talking about earlier, Josh, that it's not just about what is accomplished in the cage, but also what you bring to the table outside of it. And Tate checks up both of those boxes. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And of course, in 2021, 
reflections and memories of these fighters are blurred with what they did later. And so part of the lens I see Misha Tate in is the woman who beat Holly Holm after Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey. And what an incredible win that was. That was in the UFC, of course. But um, I really like Misha Tate in terms of what she did early in the sport to help build up women's MMA. Everybody needs uh, a strong opponent uh, in order to uh, make yourself seem that much better. And her, and she was that for Ronda Rousey. And so I just like Misha Tate because I, I feel as though so many times she dug deep and pulled something out and came back and won. And even in the second Ronda match, which we'll talk about uh, later um, in, you know, in this series, she, um, she almost survived the first round. Like she had so much heart. And if you recall, she was in that arm bar for a long time. I mean, yeah. that was sick. Just dislocated her elbow. Yeah. And, and so that's will that's drive. Most people tap. She eventually did, but she hated Rhonda so much that <laughs> she just like laid there. So, so yeah, we'll talk about the, you know, you know, I just have, a, they're all great. Right. But yeah, I, I would rank her a little bit higher than this, but um, I, you know, I think she's great. And the other thing is longevity. She's still fighting, right? She, she retired. She made a comeback. And again, I know we're talking about purely strike force, but um you know, I, I think she's something special. For sure. All right, well, that brings us to, to my number two, which would be Ronda Rousey. So she went undefeated in a strike force, 4-0 with four armbar finishes. I mean, just best, yeah, <laughs> pretty awesome. Uh, again, we mentioned Tate. She beat her to win the Bantamweight title in 2012, then defended it decisively against Sarah Kaufman later that year. The win over Tate, as we mentioned, that was a big deal. It was the first real women's feud. I mean, you had a rivalry between Chris Cyborg and Gina Carano. Uh, but that was it. I mean, they had a lot of respect for each other, and, and that was very evident after the fight. You know, with, with as you just mentioned, Tate hated Rousey, and Rousey wanted Tate so badly. There was talk in the media, you know, back and forth between the two. I mean, they, they're just – it really built up the fight. It was a Frank Shamrock, you know, Phil Baroni level of, of smack talk and hatred and, and all of that, and it was – it was a really big moment, not just for Strikeforce, but for women's MMA overall. And, you know, we talk about Chris Cyborg. Um, we talk about Gina Carano. But the really the woman that opened the door for Dana White to consider bringing M women's MMA into the, the UFC fold was Ronda Rousey. He said, if if I were going to do M women's MMA, Ronda Rousey would be you know, would be the one that would open that door. She's the one that I would sign to do that. It wasn't Chris Cyborg who he had called Vanderlei an address. And, you know, Gina was pretty, you know, even though it looked like she was coming back, she ended up never coming back. So Rousey is in a lot of ways, the most important women's fighter in history period, just because she opened that door and she was so dominant, like nasty dominant in strike force. She never lost the Bantamweight belt. She became the first woman to sign with the UFC and she was christened the UFC's first women's bantamweight champion. Uh, but even in her time in Strikeforce, again, you talk about impact outside of the cage, she actually appeared on Conan, which was a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal for a Strikeforce fighter to appear on a national show, period. But for a, a women's fighter to appear on Conan, like, that, that's a that's a big deal. And she, you know, uh, Showtime was building her up and doing specials around her and all that stuff. I mean, this was the star and and part of this is cyborg not being able to find really uh good competition by there were just there were so few 
high quality female one forty fivers at that point. So it kind of hurt Chris. Like she had to sit on the sidelines a lot because of that. And then again, for other reasons, the the steroid test, which we'll get to in in, in a minute, but uh, really you could make a really strong case for Rousey being number one, uh, which I know she's your number one, Josh. And, and I, I don't have a ton of defense against that, but except where I, I'm going to talk more about that when we get to Chris Cyborg, but yeah, the, the Rousey Tate, feud you know the mainstream appearances the domination all four finishes as we mentioned she dislocated tate's elbow in that bout and which actually in a lot of ways says more about tate's toughness than it does you know rousey being so great but i just she was amazing she was a revelation and and the fact that strike force gave her that platform and then she elevated the platform further you could make a really strong case for being number one and i won't necessarily you know, want to fight you over it because of, of her, of her accomplishments, but pretty amazing. And, and definitely, definitely top two. And if not, you know, number one. Yeah. You know, I think, I think you said it all. Um, let's, uh, I could spend all day about Ronda Rousey. I really super mixed feelings, but why don't you talk about your number one? And then we can sort of talk about the the differences between the two, or do you want me to go off on Ronda Rousey? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. When we, I'll, I'll, I'll synopsize Chris Cyborg and then, uh, and then you can, you can talk about Rousey and why you have her number one over Cyborg. And honestly, as I'm talking about Rousey, I'm kind of becoming more convinced that she should be number one, but let's, let's talk about Cyborg and then we'll go and, and I'll tell you why I have her number one. So she went four Oh and one, and strike force. Uh, she technically won all five or technically she's four Oh and one, but she really, she won all five fights. Uh, her first, she was the first women's featherweight champion defended her title three times, which was the most for any female in strike force. She headlined the very first major MMA card evented by females. As we've talked about, that was her 2009 fight with Gina Carano. Uh, but then on September in, in September of 2011, it was announced that she would return to the promotion to face Hiroko Yamanaka. And that, that fight took place at Melendez versus Masvidal on December 17th of 2011. She won via TKO in just 16 seconds of the first round. However, in January, the, the result was overturned when cyborg, I had, it was real that she had tested positive for stenozolol, an anabolic steroid, and as a result, fight was changed to a no contest. She was her fight license was suspended for a year. She was fined twenty five hundred, and she was also stripped of the Strike Force uh, women's featherweight title. So, t- this is why I have her number one. The, for the reason is because of her impact and the the trailblazing that she did. So, uh, again, defended her title three times. First women's a featherweight champion and that fight with Gina Carano that opened the door for the Ronda Rousey's and the Misha Tate's like if that fight doesn't happen and doesn't perform as well as it did both inside and outside of the cage then I don't think you have the opportunity for Ronda Rousey to be able to you know test her wares on the plat on the platform that she did so Cyborg really in a lot of ways opened the door and 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 because Carano left and because Carano you know lost that fight def- decisively Cyborg was really it. What what tarnishes her legacy, of course, is the, the the steroid test. I mean, that's really what hurt her. I mean, she would take on her first fight. She was six pounds overweight, and then she went out and just like ragdolled and destroyed, uh, you know, this Japanese fighter. And then you know she tests, she wins in sixteen seconds and tests positive in her last strike force. So it, it just she really, uh, you know, because of the stench of of steroid use. That's really what 
tarnishes her legacy. The fact that we never got to see Cyborg and Rousey and Rousey, they were talking about that fight after Rousey won the belt. They were talking about that fight, but Rousey insisted that Cyborg come down to 135 and Cyborg said she couldn't make it. And they talked about a, a catch weight at 140 and Rousey re, you know, refused to do that. And so we, I remember all that and that never, you know, never ended up happening. But I, I put Cyborg here because I feel like she opened the door and 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 just made it all possible. Rousey took that and elevated it to another level. And, and so you can make a case that she's as important. But without Cyborg... I don't think we have Rousey at that level either. So that's that's my number one. But honestly, as the more we talk about this, the more I'm convinced I'm being convinced that I think Rousey might be number one. But Josh, let's uh, let's hear your take on it as we wrap things up. You know, I might have some implicit biases here. Um, I just you know don't like Cyborg because I mean she failed a drug test and and, and it probably was not the only time. That she was using Yeah, that's, that's part of it, by the way. It's like when you get caught, that's probably not the first time you did that. Yeah, and, and you know, she was naturally bigger than these these women that she was fighting. Well, she had nat- to... Nat- was she naturally bigger? Well, you know... She bigger. <laughs> she, well, yeah, she was bigger. You know, maybe she used steroids to be, you know, even bigger. But she just sort of fell out of place. She always felt like it was a mismatch uh, when she would take on these fighters who were so much smaller. And... I just feel as though um, that's a that tarnishes her. For me, John Jones is tarnished. You know, I think Daniel Cormier, everything he did with his body, <laughs> you know, you think about that at, at, at athletically, what he was able to do, and he's never failed a test. And then you look at John Jones and all that controversy. It's the same thing for me with Cyborg. I just don't know how many of those fights that she was clean for. Obviously, she tested positive one time. So um, she's obviously great. She was the Amanda Nunez before Amanda Nunez. <laughs> she would just go out there and knock people out. And I have no doubt that if Cyborg and Rousey fought, that Cyborg would have knocked Rousey out long before Rousey ever won the UFC title. You know, uh, whenever they would have fought. Because Cyborg was just too strong, too big, too powerful. But I also wonder whether that was a fair fight or not. So that hangs out, that that cloud sort of hangs out there for me. And I just sort of feel that Ronda Rousey, it's hard now because she's such a sourpuss. I mean, she loses twice and she goes away and, you know, we never hear from her again. And she's kind of just not out there anymore in terms of MMA but if we could go back to that early days of Strike Force when Ronda was just sort of like tapping, what she was like 4 0 and tapping out these fighters so quickly, it was just so impressive. And who was this person? And it wasn't a knockout. We've always seen knockouts in boxing and MMA. But here is this woman who was, I mean, they would just get close and she would get them to the ground and tap them out in seconds. And so I think that was something new. That was something fresh. And Rhonda's not a huge, she's not big. She's not super like muscular. She's a good athlete. But when you looked at her fight, when you looked at her walk in, she looked like she belonged at 135 pounds. And so, so I just think that there's that, of course, her attitude, the fact that she had like a pro wrestling persona heel made such a difference. It made everybody pay attention. And then you had Misha Tate, who's over there just like 
the perfect foe for her. And so I, you know, I rank Rhonda at the top just because she was so important, so pivotal, pivotal, pivotal what is the word? Uh, easy <laughs> for me, easy <laughs> for me to say, right? Uh, I'll let you say it. Um, but she, she's just so important to the strike force history and she changed Dana White's mind. You know, all of a sudden Dana White, he literally, literally did a pro wrestling thing. He took her while well, they bought the, they bought strike force and he put her and he made her champion. He made her the UFC champion without ever beating anybody in the UFC, right? And then she goes in there, and then you know she beats Liz Liz Carmouche. So I think she's great, and uh, I like Misha Tate just for all the reasons that I said about her and the fact that Misha, as far as I know, has never failed a drug test. And those two are like the Brett Sean of Strike Force. They just brought the best out of each other, and. Wow, like we're going to be talking about those two fights eventually, and they're amazing. So, yeah. so I mean, no, no disrespect to Cyborg, but I just feel like, uh, you know, we'll never know to the extent that she was under the influence of anabolic steroids. And um, then when she fought Amanda Nunez, my goodness, she fought somebody her size, and look what happened. So. got destroyed yeah uh, so uh, so i think i'll amend and i think i'll put rousey number one i do think I'll, i will still keep cyborg number two just because of her trailblazing and dominance and you know the fact that rousey beat tate decisively i i think i'd i think i'd still keep her number three but but yeah i think you've convinced me on on, on ronda and i'm sure that she is you know with her her new child and just listening to this and just super excited that we elevated her to number one i'm sure that that just makes her day and makes her year and, and all and all of that but well i i think ronda rousey is going to send me a christmas card and chris cyborg will send you one so there you go i'll, I'll take go. that any day of the week Phil. there you go all right so <laughs> our, our final list i think we'll go with uh, ronda rousey number one Chris Cyborg, number two, Misha Tate, number three, Sarah Kaufman, number four, and Marlowe's Coonan, number five. But all very important females uh, in the history of both Strike Force and women's MMA overall. Uh, and, and I enjoyed ch- I enjoyed chatting through this with you, Josh. This is uh, this is this has been pretty cool, and I'm sure we'll do more of this uh, in the future. But I appreciate your time, Josh. We're going to go ahead and and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. We will see you soon. <laughs> should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. 
Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 